0: Hello again listeners, our friends in Carmel, this is Mark Dennis for Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. This evening we're picking up again on St. John of the Cross, and we'll be dealing with what is referred to as the Active Night of the Spirit, uh, and without going into too much detail, let me first begin by saying hello again to our co-host, my co-host, Francis Harry Good evening.
1: I'm sorry, I forgot to turn my mic on. (laughs) Well, hello out there, and I want to say a special hello to one of our listeners from the UK, Pam Murray. It's about midnight over there, and I'm glad you're tuning in, and I thank you all for listening, and it's a joy to be here. We're broadcasting live tonight from Dayton, Ohio.
0: Well, and again, I want to uh, do as we do every week, uh, begin in prayer. I do want to say that... um, Uh, We had a question that I thought was um, uh, very helpful, in fact, very helpful for us, Francis, in terms of uh, our understanding uh, how well we're communicating and getting the message. Very insightful questions, which led us to believe that uh, we're certainly speaking to the heart of uh, many of our listeners. And I want to deal with that question regarding the differences in the different books that we've dealt with already, The Ascent of Mount Carmel and The Dark Night of the Soul. But before we do that, let's begin as we always do in prayer. Would you lead us in prayer, please, Francis?
1: Yes, this is a prayer from St. Teresa of Avila. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Teach me, my God, to suffer in peace the afflictions which you send me, that my soul may emerge from the crucible like gold, both brighter and purer, to find you within me. Trials like these which at present seem unbearable, will eventually become light, and I shall be anxious to suffer again if by so doing I can render you greater service. And however numerous may be my troubles and persecutions, they will all work together for my greater gain, though I do not myself bear them as they should be born, but in a way which is most imperfect. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, certainly uh, that's a challenge that... Uh Teresa lays out for us this evening, we let Teresa lead us in prayer, Um, and that challenge is one of faith. As we go through the trials in our life, Francis, as we go through the struggles uh, of everyday life, and certainly those that are introduced as we begin to enter into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, we know that we need great faith to get through those struggles, and John teaches us the importance of faith this evening as he talks about the active night of spirit. I want to deal with the question that was, as I said, uh, shared with us on our uh, Facebook page, and I appreciate very much. I won't name the individual, and he didn't ask me to, so uh, I won't bother, but I do want to answer the question, because I think many of our listeners probably struggle with this very question, and the question was, could you explain the differences between the two books, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, and of course, John of the Cross's Dark Night of the Soul? Let me give... Uh, a simple answer, which I think is both accurate and uh, responsive to the question, and then add a little detail. first of all, the ascent was the first of the texts that John wrote. He had uh, uh, a gift of poetry. He's considered one of the greatest Spanish poets, and he wrote a poetry in eight verses for uh, this particular text. Unfortunately, he only dealt with two of those verses in any great detail. And the dark night of the soul is really a continuation of the work uh, that he began in the ascent. And to make it, again, very simple, the ascent deals largely with the active nights, those things that we can do ourselves to predispose ourselves to God working within our soul. And if you'll recall, we have begun um, with the uh, first of the two, Knights, they're collectively referred to as knights, but the active night of the sense, where we practice detachment and we practice uh, asceticism or exercising uh, through um, denying ourselves and mortification. And then the Lord moved us uh, as a gift, if you will, into the passive night of sense where he gently begins to remove those things that we wouldn't see ourselves or we may not have the strength to remove. He gives us that strength, and then he begins to remove from our sense experience. Those two uh, phases are dealt separately in each of the books. Now, John touches on both of them in each book, but really, largely he deals with the ascent aspect, uh, the active aspect in the ascent to Mount Carmel, and the passive, or the work that the Lord does to us in the dark night of the soul. And he does the same thing as we'll move this evening into the night of spirit active night of spirit will draw largely from the ascent of mount carmel and later uh, not next week we'll tell you about the schedule change but the week after that we'll deal with the uh, passive night of the spirit
1: and also i want to point out that both books are commentaries on the same poem it's the poem that begins one dark night fired with love's urgent longings and i want to invite you to go online Um, you can get it several places online, and read that poem. It's very beautiful.
0: Well, and again, I said I'd give a little bit of context. I don't want to belabor this, but it is important to point out that um, John somewhat lost his way uh, in writing The Ascent, and as I said, only covered really in any great detail the first uh, two uh, verses of the poem, and then went off into a number of different uh, explanations as to what happens to the person um, why he's advocating the practices of asceticism, detachment, and so on and so forth, and, and goes on for some uh, some length on those subjects. Unfortunately, he did somewhat the same thing in The Dark Night of the Soul. He doesn't really pick up on any detail in the verses themselves, uh, but deals more with what the Lord is doing in our souls through both the night of sense and the night of spirit, um, and doesn't finish... Uh, his full explanation of the verses. And unfortunately, one other aspect that John doesn't finish, uh, though we'll touch on it this evening, is his elaboration of what he calls the four passions. Those are joy, sorrow, hope, and fear. He really only deals at length with joy. Uh, And I say that's unfortunate because his uh, text on joy is very illuminative, very insightful, uh, and would have been helpful if we'd have had a similar um, uh, reflection from him on sorrow, hope, and fear.
1: So we look for somebody out there to finish John's work. So Who's going to take the challenge? That's right. what I want to know. We're
0: looking for a Carmelite <laughs> graduate student who wants to... Uh,
1: Write their thesis, maybe. Yeah,
0: pick up, pick up the mantle of, uh, of John's work.
1: Yeah, and tell us we want to read it.
0: Well, two things I don't want to do, Francis. in our discussion this evening. Um, I said that John, and I said this the first week, we agreed John can be difficult to approach... And we're frankly approaching what I frankly contend is the more difficult, perhaps most difficult, of the four nights to grasp. It's the active night of spirit. And I wrestled for a long time uh, trying to understand what it was that John was talking about here, um, as I read this text many years ago. And, of course, knowing in the um, sense uh, element, the active night of sense, the passive night of sense, uh, that God's dealing with those material and sensual and and uh, uh, more obvious aspects of our spiritual walk. Here it's more difficult. Uh, we're going to talk week after next about the passive night of spirit. I don't want to get into that. It's actually a little easier to grasp what John is saying about it. But here he's saying we have to begin to deny ourselves the spiritual consolations, the uh, benefits, if you will, that we've been uh, experiencing up to this point in our prayer life. And that seems confusing, doesn't it?
1: Yes, and and I don't think we mean um, to to let you think that this means reject them. No. It, it's you experience them, and then the benefit of them happens as soon as they happen. So after they're done, you let them go, because, you know, that's not God. And if you rest on that, then that's when the devil can get in and start mixing things up and suddenly divert you and get you off the path. So John's counsel here is very good, and he writes a lot about this, so if you want all the details, I suggest you read the book. Um, but he's one of the few that wrote on this, you know, so it's very important for those who are earnestly trying to grow in the spiritual life, you know, especially at, at this high level of, of love and spirituality, that, you know, you, you have some understanding of what's going on, and I, I just love John for pointing it out to us because he puts he makes sense out of the, the messiness of everything.
0: Yeah, we should emphasize again, and we've said this before, uh, no one has to have read John of the Cross to become a saint. Uh, right. No one has to have a, a graduate degree in mystical theology in order to uh, enter into contemplative prayer. Of course, the, uh, oftentimes uh, those who approach this m- most simply uh, have the least to deal with in terms of struggles and trials. And John's going to tell us why that is, by the way. This is is so beneficial, I think, about this act of night of spirit, and specifically, as Francis has pointed out, what John is going to say to us is, it's not um, the consolation you've been receiving in prayer, it's not your dependence on your intellectual understanding, it's not uh, the uh, memory of your human experience, uh, which he talks about when he deals with memory and, and the virtue of hope. It's our over-attachment to these things. It's our dependence on these things. It's our placing them at times before our singular pursuit of God that makes them become counterproductive or makes them uh, causes them to serve as distractions to us. So that's what John's focusing on. Again, all that John is telling us is the purification of love, the purification and the purity of our hearts, to love God and to love God singularly. He's had to take us through the senses to get us here, but now he's saying, no, it's time now to to sort of throw down the mantle and really begin to work on that purity.
1: And I have to throw in one of his major principles in the spiritual life. It's that two contraries cannot coexist in one subject. Uh, in other words, you can't have light and darkness in the same entity. One of them is going to be the winner, and they're going to battle it out. So, that's what's happening here. We're having a spiritual battle within us. And, of course, we want God to win because that's where we want to be. We want to be with God. And so, we have to do what we can. So, in this active night of the Spirit, we are talking about what we can do to help be receptive and open to God's action in us. Now, where does this fall in the mansions or in the spiritual journey? Well, um in the classical determinations, you have the um, uh, purgative, illuminative, and unitive. So this this would be around the illuminative stage and leading into the unitive stage. In the uh, with John's terminology, beginners, proficients, and the perfect, it would be in the proficients, leading you into the perfect. And with Teresa's mansions, this would be happening um, more like at the end of the fifth and into the sixth. Heavy in the sixth, okay, because this is leading you to the spiritual betrothal and spiritual marriage.
0: Right, and it's important to point out when you say the illuminative, God is talking, or John is talking about God illuminating our spiritual insights here. It's not the academic. John, in fact, is very cautious about the academic, uh, even though he was an intellectual himself, well schooled in philosophy and theology. Um, I said uh, in one of the earlier programs he would be a modern-day psychologist, a brilliant psychologist, in the working of the human mind and the human heart. Uh, But nonetheless, John is somewhat cautious. We'll talk about that when we uh, close out on spiritual direction and John's guidance on seeking spiritual direction. But uh, suffice to say... Uh, John isn't saying, go and read a lot of books, and that's how you get there. He's saying, Mm -hmm. leave yourself open to the working of the Lord within you. And Francis emphasized this uh, idea that at this stage, some very serious things will begin to happen. We may, in fact, experience visions, revelations, locutions. Interior voices seems to be a much more common experience. And you know those listeners who participated in this a level of prayer, the prayer of quiet, the con- early stages of contemplative prayer, you know that you've, you've begun to receive insights, let's just use that word, from the Lord, and there's confirmation of that. <clears throat> Francis stressed, as John does, don't become attached to these things. Don't look to repeat them. Don't latch on to that sense experience of an internal voice, of a locution, of a vision. Use them, accept the message, move on, because, as she said, there are dangers here. One, we could deceive ourselves. Certainly the devil can get in and deceive us. And John's more explicit about it. He says, even if these experiences are of God, they are not God. One has to desire only God, not the consolations and the experiences. These are the visions, revelations, etc., uh, experiences of God. John would have us entertain no desire whatsoever whatsoever. Uh, for these fringe companions, he calls them, of contemplative prayer. If they're necessary, God will impart them, and we are to accept them and then simply move on. This is the safest way to keep ourselves on that path. Now, I said a moment ago, and I want to finish the statement, there were two things I wanted to stress. One, uh, you don't need to read all of John to become a saint. Secondly, I don't want to minimize, for those who do read John and and take him seriously, um, how... um, deliberate john is at emphasizing the degree of um detachment annihilation is a word that john uses uh, that we must go through and in fact he says i don't know whether i can really speak to this i don't know whether i can adequately communicate uh, the degree to which the soul must uh, uh, you know sort of cleanse itself uh, of these dependencies on uh, the things that have led the soul to this point on the path, on the journey. And, and John's very adamant about that, that uh, this is where uh, most people, and we learned this with Teresa, will begin to lose heart. Um, they won't uh, have their footing, so to speak, their spiritual footing, and they'll begin to uh, to turn away or to look for those elements of consolation in prayer, in intellectual understanding, and in, in uh, the things that they love. And this is what causes people to go uh, off course somewhat. So, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to lead on into what might be some of these defects that are remaining that need purification. And some of it may be um, this lowly natural mode of communicating. You might still want to be attached to that meditative style rather than letting yourself uh, gaze in love. And you might still be threatened with, you know, am I wasting my time, I'm not doing anything, and yet love should be the basis for all the choices here. What leads you most to a deeper love of God? And so that's very important. But uh, certainly uh, spiritual pride would be a big one here. Uh, Another one would be being attached to your own opinions or your own way of thinking how something should be or... um, Letting go of the details of the interior life. Uh, those details are very important. Small stuff matters here. So that's very important. Um, and you, you just might be too much uh, showing too much security in your own self. God wants us to depend on Him. He is our strength. So to the degree that we depend on ourself, we're not going to get there. We have to let go of self and let go and let God.
0: An explicit example of this might be over-attachment, for example, to a particular devotion uh, and the belief that this is the devotion. You know, John says this many times, uh, um, that um, we may become overly attached to our rosaries and the color of our rosaries and the way that we say the rosary, or we may be overly attached to a particular sacramental. Again, understand there's no, uh, uh, th- there's nothing particularly wrong with attachment to a devotion or uh, a sacramental. It's when that becomes the center of the devotion. When uh, the suggestion that perhaps there's a, a an alternative way, if a spiritual director suggests uh, perhaps there's a better way, or to deepen your faith, perhaps leaving that behind and moving on. Um, and and the uh, reaction on the part of the directee would be a negative one. That would be an example where John is saying we've got to start to move away from these things. We've got to move uh, directly into. Uh, as Francis has said, this prayer of um, intimate union, of quiet, of sitting with the Lord, not using, some some examples in the the actual act of prayer, uh, uh, not using now uh, discursive meditation as predominantly as we have, moving away from uh, the use of the imagination and creation of images, uh, moving away from anything that is uh, supporting that sense, experience in prayer John talks about this and trying to simply sit in silence and and uh, solitude with the Lord this is the critical part of the prayer uh, uh, progress that John is uh, is calling us to moving from as he says exterior to the interior in our prayer well let's just talk quickly about <clears throat> what John advocates as The model for all of this, as uh, you might well imagine. First, I want to talk just quickly about uh, the three aspects that we touched on last week, the virtues of faith, hope, and love. What's really happening in this phase of the active night of spirit is that the Lord is perfecting our intellect, our memory, and our will. Understand intellect as uh, that uh, element of the human uh, understanding of their circumstances and surroundings. Intellectual, of course, is part of it. Um, memory is sort of the collective human experience, which includes all the imagery and all of the uh, you know sense uh, uh, input that we've taken through smell and touch and sight and so forth, all of that collective memory uh, in our um, uh, mind and in our imagination. And will, of course, is that thing which drives our, our decision-making. These three are not overcome. This is a misunderstanding in some cases with regard to John. People think that uh, the Lord is trying to overcome or diminish the human person. In fact, what he's trying to do is perfect it. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says, grace perfects nature. Well, it's exactly what's happening here. Grace, through faith, hope, and love, is perfecting our intellect, our memory, and our will.
1: And I think God is trying to communicate more spirit to spirit. And so our the capacity of our soul has to expand, and our natural ways of communing, communicating are now going to have to be let go so that we can take on this new way of communicating with God. And, you know, some people may wonder, well, how long is this, you know, uh, dark night of the active night of spirit, how long is that going to last? Well, that really depends on God and on what needs purifying for each soul, how much we cooperate. Uh, the height of holiness that God is calling that soul to, and the amount of purification that's needed to be done. So that's not something we can really answer.
0: <laughs> no, it's a, it's a personal experience. And again, I would emphasize, you know, no one can teach you how to pray. There, there are certainly guides along the way, and uh, there are methods, and Teresa gives us good uh, methodology on discursive meditation. John doesn't talk a lot about method, of course, but um, He would emphasize this fact that no one can sit and teach you how to pray. You simply have to enter into prayer. You simply have to spend time with the Lord, whether it's the stage of discursive meditation or early contemplation or certainly late contemplation.
1: And although techniques may help us be more open and receptive, the bottom line is still love.
0: Absolutely. We are being called into a level of love, a depth and an intimacy of love that we're simply unfamiliar with as human beings. Um, But it is that uh, purification of our love that the Lord is calling us to. I want to read this quick quote that John gives us regarding um, the difficulty he has in communicating uh, the depth of purification that's necessary. In Book 2 of The Ascent, Chapter 7, he says, I desire to give clear instructions to spiritual persons. By the way, he uses this term, spiritual persons, quite deliberately. This would not be someone who all of a sudden decides in the middle of uh, Um, you know, the week that they want to start an active prayer life. These are people who, as I'm sure many of our listeners are, Francis, who spent some time in spiritual reflection and prayer already. Uh, John is writing to a a mature uh, audience. I want to give instructions to these spiritual persons on the narrowness of the way leading to life that the narrowness of which our Savior spoke, so that convinced of this they will not marvel at the emptiness and nakedness in which we must leave the faculties of the soul in this night. Now, John's being quite deliberate here. He's certainly not pulling any punches as regards the degree to which we have to enter into the nakedness and the emptiness of our soul in order for the Lord to fill it.
1: And if we want to think of what that looks like, let's just think of Jesus' passion, that scourging and all that he went through. This is where we're at, right here, in the passive or the active night of the Spirit.
0: And John gives us that verse exactly, Francis, you're right. If anyone wishes to follow my way, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For he who would save his soul shall lose it, and he who loses it for me shall gain it. And then he goes on and quotes Luke, whoever does not renounce all that he possesses cannot be my disciple. Well, we'll pick up with the story of the rich young man to illustrate the Lord's point here. And of course, John of the Cross is picking up on the Lord's point uh, as soon as we come back from the break. Welcome back, listeners. Well, Francis, we uh, concluded just before the break with two very difficult uh, Scripture passages uh, from both uh, Mark and Luke regarding this degree of uh, purification that the Lord talks about. And um, I'm always reminded of a a, um, statement I once heard a priest say. He said, it's not the Bible verses that I don't understand that cause me much concern. He says, it's the ones that I understand quite well.
1: <laughs> and they will be very responsible for him too.
0: Uh, <laughs> Accountable. And, and, and these are two of them. And again, I, I think it's important for us to, to point out, um, we no one can interpret this scripture verse for an individual. Clearly, the Lord is saying, if anyone wishes to follow my way, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. This is also, of course, last Sunday's reading. But what's important for us to stress is the degree to which any individual uh, and, and, and uh, the nature of that of purification and that carrying of the cross is found in prayer. It isn't read in a book. Nobody's going to communicate it to you. The most insightful spiritual director is not going to say, this is what you must do. The Lord reveals these things in prayer, which is why, of course, the Carmelite charism stresses so much the importance of a prayer life,
1: yes, and that's a prayer life that has solitude and silence with God, and that's not silence that your your mind is empty, no no, no, this is a mind that is being receptive and and with love, you know this uh, attentive gaze at, at God waiting uh uh to listen to to see what he says to you, so this is very important to spend this solitude and time just like you would in any relationship. Especially somebody you were engaged to and were wanting to get married to, you certainly want to spend a lot of alone time getting to know them, getting to know their their way of thinking. Don't we want to know how God thinks? And so we got to put on the mind of Christ. Um, So how do we do that? Well, we got to learn who Jesus Christ is, and we learn that by studying Scripture and pondering and reflecting on it. Just like the Blessed Mother, she's the perfect model after Jesus. She's the perfect model of how to pray and how to live this um, interior life.
0: And and John says, uh, he instructs his readers, this union with God and the greatness of the work that Jesus accomplished uh, is measured by the annihilation for God. And again, this is a difficult word, a very difficult uh, theme for us to grab onto. And uh, and, uh, I, nor Francis, certainly would sit here and say, this is what that annihilation looks like. The Lord will bring you into it to the degree that you strengthen yourself uh, through the sacraments, through prayer, to acquire the grace necessary for him to illuminate your mind so that you can go through this purification.
1: Well, Um, other other things that they do, this is the conduct of the soul. This is what the soul is supposed to be doing at this time, practicing the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, um, obedience, poverty, chastity, um, put aside extraordinary be faithful to the duties in your life according to your state and have a heroic and joyful asceticism um following christ take up your cross denying self um praying uh um I think that's, that's a pretty good list there. We deny self, the nada, 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 the nothing, nothing. So, uh, and, and you know what? One of the hardest things is, is to calmly and serenely accept these trials and tribulations. And, and now, knowing that it's God's will. Everything that happens is either permitted or allowed or planned by God for our growth.
0: Well, and uh, you've brought us back to the story that we uh, had uh, indicated we would share before the break, and that is the story of the rich young man who approaches Christ. And, of course, uh, he hears Christ teaching and uh, approaches him afterwards and says, uh, what must I do to gain eternal life? Uh, I'm paraphrasing. I won't directly uh, cite the uh, verse, but uh, Christ says, of course, uh, follow the commandments, um, love thy neighbor. And the uh, young gentleman says, well, I've done all this my entire life. And the Lord looks to him and says, well, sell all you have, um, give it to the poor, and follow me. Well, so often I've heard priests struggle with this uh, particular uh, uh, verse when it, becomes, uh, when, it, when it comes up on a, on a given Sunday. Um, the way I read that particular counsel of the Lord, um, and at first it may sound as though it's softening it, but in fact I think it's making it more challenging... The only thing that we own, that any of us really owns, it's been demonstrated time and time again throughout history, everything can be taken from us. The only thing we truly own is our will. We do get to decide how we respond to the difficult circumstances in our life. We ultimately possess only our will. And what the Lord is telling this young man is, give that as well. He's not just saying, give away your stuff. That's easy, actually, for uh, uh, folks who recognize the gift that we receive in return, eternal salvation uh, and eternity spent with God, it would be relatively easy for someone to say, I think I can give away my material possessions for that. Uh, but now the Lord is raising the bar, so to speak, and saying, give me your will. That's what I'm asking for, really. That's your riches. That's all that you really possess. Give me that. That's a far more challenging uh, uh demand, if you will, from Christ. But that's exactly what he's asking for.
1: And just think what we get in return. His his will. So, thy will be done. In the the Our Father prayer, thy will be done. That's what we want.
0: Well, in this annihilation that we talk about, in this negation, in this um, uh, cleansing and purification that we, um, uh, John is uh, counseling us, is necessary as we enter into the active night of spirit. We're reminded that Christ did his greatest work from the cross. Of course, uh, there are stories of Christ feeding the thousands and healing so many people. These are wonderful works that that the Lord performed. But ultimately, uh, the unification of mankind with God occurred on the cross. And only through our own annihilation do we give God the opportunity to help us reunite, as you said, Francis, our will with his will and purify our love through the on rushing literally of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit rushing into our hearts. You know, we've said so many times, this is about the purification of love. But we know we can't do that on our own, can we? We no. can't possibly uh-uh. it's the Holy Spirit actually who gives us that love. We have to dispose ourselves and in the active night of sense earlier and now spirit, we are given the opportunity to do that. Love is first and foremost, John tells us an act of will. It's not an emotion. This is a misunderstanding about the use of the word love. Of course, it's been um, um, you know built on over years of uh, uh, romantic literature and so forth, that we think of love in the context of emotion. In fact, John would advocate it's anything but that. Love is first and foremost an act of will. And so if we unify our will with the will of the Lord, then we can have the opportunity to, the Lord will take advantage and purify our
1: love. And now the world is gonna say like that song, got that loving feeling and they're gonna try to keep enticing us on the feeling. So we gotta keep remembering this is a choice. They act of the will. So important.
0: And when we talk about as we will here in just a moment, because this is really the centerpiece of, of uh, of the presentation, of the discussion, the conversation, Francis, today, and that is the purification of intellect, memory, and will. That's what's happening in the active night of spirit. Those three human aspects are purified, fortified, and perfected through faith, hope, and love. But before we do that, I want to just point out another scripture verse that John gives us. And after laying out this challenging uh, uh, you know, demand, if you will, of the purification that we must go through, the stripping, the annihilation, the giving up of our will, we've talked about that. Uh, and again, I'll say, uh, revealed to us largely through prayer, the Lord will show us where we are uh, not uh, affecting faith, hope, and love in our life and where we've got to change but then the Lord says something rather amazing, and John points it out. In Matthew 11.30, he says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, how can that possibly be? We've just spent uh, you know, the last 25 minutes talking about how difficult this is going to be. John says himself, I don't know how to say this to you. I don't know how <laughs> uh, clear I can make this about uh, the degree to which you've got to purify yourself of those sensual experiences of the uh, intellectual uh, concepts that you've created of the inappropriate loves that you've created in your in your lifetime, um, and yet now he comes back and says, "But, but, my yoke is easy, my burden is light." How can he possibly do that? Well, uh, I turn as I often do to Elizabeth of the Trinity, uh, because I think her teaching here is very instructive, and she uses the word solitude again, a word we've talked about many times. Solitude at face value means aloneness, being alone. And in fact, that's exactly what she means. When John says um, that we've got to strip ourselves of all of these things that would otherwise taint, uh, contaminate our love for God exclusively, uh, we have to become, uh, um, the, the, the word is, uh, solitudes ourselves. We have to practice solitude by getting to a singularity of thought, everything, and John's position on this is, everything must be viewed in the context of our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, this is where John turns us back to those uh, four elements that he talked about earlier, and I said he really only elaborated on joy, but it's joy, sorrow, hope, and fear. Now, the importance of those four for John in this discussion about faith, hope, and love is no joy um, is experienced outside of that which is brought about by an increase of our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No sorrow is experienced except for that which leads us away from that relationship. There is no fear except the fear of uh, having offended our Lord, and there's no uh, hope other than our hope for ultimate uh, salvation and ultimate uh, participation in the life of our Lord and Savior.
1: Very well So it.
0: all of those emotions, and they are emotions, passions, John refers to them as, have to be centered, solitude, singular, on Jesus Christ.
1: And when they're not, then they cloud our vision. And then we can't make good judgments, and we can't make good choices because we don't have a full picture.
0: You've led us right into the discussion of the intellect, uh, Francis. Thank you. And that's exactly right. When those emotions are allowed to run amok, as they do in every single heart, and every single mind, of every single human being, every single day, then they distract us. They draw us off. And this is exactly what John is saying. Those four passions must be brought under control. The only way to do it is the purification of your mind, your intellect, your memory, your human experience, and your will, those things that you love. So that, not so that you can become a droll and and non-responsive and without passion, but so that all of those emotions are focused solely and singularly, regardless of any circumstance in your life, on your love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
1: So to the degree that these passions aren't in alignment with God... That is the degree that our vision, our thoughts, our feelings are disordered, and therefore, you know, this goes back to that whole fallacy of relativism. How can you make good judgments when you're not perfected?
0: And that's exactly what happens, is that we get drawn in multiple directions as a result of our emotions or as a result of our tainted intellectual perceptions of images we may have created on, uh, of God and how we ought to react in certain situations. Our memory, we draw on our human experience as to uh, how things have happened in the past, how things have worked in the past, or in the context of love. We have tainted loves, we have desire for for things that are uh, not leading us to God, and so these things send us into these oscillations, if you will, pitches and swells of emotional uh, depression, and then overreactive joy, and then back to despair, and then Anger and avarice and envy and all of the human emotions no are peace, No peace. No
1: peace there.
0: No peace. Exactly right. That's it.
1: Well, you know, that leads us right into the intellects being purified by faith. By acts of faith, we can purify our intellect. Because faith teaches us that instead of depending upon our own manner of reasoning and understanding, we ought to despoil ourselves of this and place our intellect in imp- emptiness and unite it to God. Um, The greater we progress in faith, the more detached we shall be from our shallow ways of thinking.
0: And this is, uh, I would argue, the most difficult section of John, and I'm talking about the active night of spirit. And this particular teaching, uh, I will say up front, uh, for me anyway, was the most difficult to grasp. John says here very specifically, faith is the only proximate means to salvation.
1: Explain that.
0: Faith is the only proximate means. Meaning, I have to move from an intellectual understanding, uh, a, a, a creation of my own choosing on how I perceive God to be, to blind faith. And you would say, well, why do I want to move from an understanding to blindness? Well, the reality is that that blindness gives God the opportunity to be for you everything that He is. Whereas anything that we create that defines God becomes limiting. It limits God.
1: Well, doesn't this give hope to the people who aren't the brainiacs or the scripture scholars, the, you know, the intellectual elite? If you're not one of those, doesn't this give you relief that all we have to do is have great faith and love and all will come together and we just keep our eyes focused on Christ?
0: This is exactly John's caution about the acquisition of knowledge. He said, uh, with additional knowledge become uh, comes additional uh, uh, concepts and imaginations and perceptions as to who God is. They may be good, they may uh, be bad, but regardless, they're insufficient. They will never, and in fact, he says specifically, there is no likeness of God that we can create that will even approximate his reality. This is why faith, and not the intellect, must become our only proximate means of salvation. And we, we've read about uh, this blindness, the darkness of the night, what brings it about our, our destabilization in this context, because we don't now have a firm grasp But what we've done is we've thrown our intellect into uh, the arena, so to speak, and said, no, I'm going to rely on faith. I'm not going to uh, hold on to these concepts, visions, imaginations, uh, intellectual perceptions of who God is. I'm simply going to accept that I'm a child of God, that He loves me, that He's working in my life. And as Romans 8.28 says, all things work to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And so... John gives us a great analogy here. If this is still a difficult subject for you, and I appreciate for many, it may well be. Uh, John gives us this great analogy from the Old Testament, and it's that of the Israelites fashioning for themselves the golden calf uh, as Moses up uh, on the mountain is getting the Ten Commandments, and uh, they're becoming uh, tired and bored and, and wandering in the desert, is you know uh, sort of worn them down, as it will for us when we enter this spiritual journey. Uh, They fashion a calf, and John says, that's exactly what we do. You know, so many of us read that story, and we say, well, I would never have done that. I mean, my gosh, he led us out of Egypt, he crossed the river, he opened the waters. I would never have fashioned a calf in favor of him. Well, the reality is that's exactly what we do. Every one of us, every day, creates an image of who we think God is. Why? So that we feel comfortable with him. We feel comfortable in our relationship with him. We, We have context for our dialogue with him, our prayer. Another reason, John says, stop being uh, Controlling. intellectual. <laughs> stop using discursive meditation. You're not a child in the spiritual world anymore. You've moved beyond that. You now have to move into blind faith, because I don't want you fashioning that calf in the desert. I want you waiting for Moses to come back and give you the insight. Illuminate your mind as to what God really
1: mm-hmm. is. Awesome. Well, then that leads us to hope. Um, hope is, renders the memory empty and dark with respect to the things below, and to things above. So if we hope earnestly, it means that we await blessings, which we do not yet enjoy, and are not content with those that we already have. So if we exercise in the hope, if we exercise ourselves in this hope of heavenly goods, I'm thinking of Therese here, because she's always thinking of heaven, right? Um, We will forget about the earthly goods. And if we hope in God alone... Then we shall no longer be occupied with the remembrance of creatures. Now that's not to mean like, you know, okay, I don't love my spouse anymore. No, we we put things in right relationship, God first, and everything under that.
0: Exactly. We go back to those four phrases: joy, sorrow, uh, uh, fear, and hope. And what John is saying, John has a different opinion, by the way, about memory than Saint Thomas Aquinas does. Saint Thomas Aquinas. Uh, did not necessarily believe that the uh, context of memory resided in the soul. John advocates that it does. And what he's saying here is he's moved us through the active night of sense, where we relied on our sense inputs, hearing, sight, smell, touch, taste, all of those things become embedded in our memory. And he's not saying that we have to, as you just said, Francis, it's not that you dispense with all of that and you become... Uh, sort of insensitive to your surroundings. But what John is saying is, if the memory is in the soul, we have to move, as we just said earlier with regard to intellect, from the um, sense experience of memory into the spiritual experience of memory. And we do have to uh, dispense with, to some extent, uh, our reliance on that memory in the soul that creates a perspective on who God is, how He'll react, and the consolations, this is largely about the consolations that we receive in, in our memory, don't reach back for those. Now, John actually also elaborates on good memories and bad memories. So uh, we have a tendency, as you know, to fall back and say, well, gee, but, you know, uh, I had this terrible thing happen to me as a child, or I had this terrible uh, turnabout in, my, uh, in, in life at, at some stage. And John's saying, you've got to stop. You've got to move beyond that. You can't focus on that anymore. You know, there's a, a philosophy uh, um, in the New Age movement, Francis, which we talked about briefly, uh, that says, oh, no, you've got to latch on to those things, and you've got to purify those things, you've got to cleanse those things. I think John would say very specifically, no, the only thing you have to latch on to is love. And if you, if you really purify your love, your love will literally embrace all of those memories, the good and the bad, and it will love them literally to death. But but there are some dangers that we ought to point out, Francis, in the context of the New Age movement that tamper with some of what the Carmelites are teaching here.
1: Yes, and I think we have to be very careful because they're latching on to St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and and many of our others, and they're taking contemplation and they're using it, uh, defining it in a way that we don't. So uh, let me just point out a few guidelines here. Um, Ask yourself, uh, when you're looking at a spirituality or prayer practice, or a prayer group is the focus on Jesus Christ or yourself? Is your mind full of love or are you just trying to empty your mind? Are you growing in humility or are you growing in power? Obviously, the second half of these phrases are are the negatives. Here, uh, we we want to know that you know God's in control, not us. Are we becoming more self-sacrificial or more self-centered? Are we hooked on God or are we hooked on a feeling? Is our prayer biblically based or based on some esoteric hidden wisdom of some type? Um, I just want to mention that there is a um, writing that Pope John Paul II uh, did for us. It's called Jesus Christ, the Bearer of the Water of Life, a Christian Reflection on the New Age. It's excellent, and there are several questions in that document that will help one to Discern and distinguish if what they're getting into is something that is sound and proven and solid, or is it um, debatable, uh, is it esoteric, is it going to lead you away from God? I think we have to be very careful because there can be a whole new religion here that is kind of a feel-good, everybody become your own divine being and having your own power, and I don't think that's what John and Teresa are teaching us.
0: No, it's not. In fact, it's just the opposite, and and you're right to point it out. It is a caution that uh, uh, is certainly appropriate for our time where there are so many uh, um, mistaken uh, teachings in this regard. I want to cover just quickly the last of the, um, the um, three that we talked about, faith, hope, and love, and, of course, love, and center very specifically on John's uh, statement here regarding the will. John says in the Ascent, uh, Book 2, Chapter 7, in the sixth uh, paragraph, it is in the will that all negation takes place. That's a very profound statement. It is in the will that all negation takes place. So everything that we've been talking about in all of John's early challenge to us comes back to the will. And I want to go back to the uh, Scripture verse, Francis, that we used last week when we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And I pointed out that Paul says, in response to the question, what is love, he says, love is patient and kind. And then he runs a litany of eight things that love is not. And John would, would applaud that. In fact, he did last week when we used it. It is in the will that the negation of all those things that are not leading us to God has to occur. Well, I want to say one quick thing about spiritual direction, because we promised that we would. Uh, and I'll say the most important thing that we can say, and that is that uh, as one's life becomes more interior, goes through the phases that we're discussing here this evening and we will continue on uh, when we talk about the passive night of spirit, John attributes its divine guidance specifically to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of concern about spiritual direction, the difficulty of finding good spiritual direction. I want to give people consolation and say, at the end of the day, uh, the Lord, uh, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is your first spiritual director, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit through prayer, through the sacraments, to guide us along this path. We should not fear, Francis, at this stage of uh, of our progress along the journey because the Lord will never leave us abandoned. He'll never leave us without guidance and direction if we're genuinely seeking it.
1: And love conquers the fear.
0: Love absolutely conquers the fear. Well, I thank you again, listeners, for participating with us this week. It was uh, uh, very beneficial, I know, for Francis and I. I did say there'd be a brief schedule change. Next week we will uh, be off, but we'll be picking up with uh, St. John of the Cross Passive Night of the Spirit the following week. And looking forward to covering that topic. Until then, God bless you, and thank you for listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.